As an additional thought, it may be wise to condition all four leads, all four aluminum leads, um, the, the, the two leads, one each for the base lead of each of the two transistors, and the two leads, one each for the two pressurized canisters of pressurized um, noble gas of a low voltage breakdown point, such as helium as an example. Um, I, I don't know what the lowest um, noble glass, uh, I don't know what gas has the lowest um, um, voltage breakdown point, especially when under pressure above one atmosphere of pressure. But um, <clears throat> it makes sense because to think about not just the transistors that are derived from baking soda borax diodes, but the fact that only one lead goes into the pressurized canister of a noble gas, each one has only one lead to create an electrostatic field and discourage the formation of current, but also we're trying to go one direction. We're trying to create an electrostatic field that will be absorbed and converted by the iron winding into current within the winding and then lead by single connection through the, um, the base electrode of the um, iron transistor, the aluminum versus iron transistor, back through its um, lead connection back to the two pressurized canisters of noble gas that have a low uh, voltage breakdown that come off the aluminum trunk line um, to create a one-way flow, a one-way flow of energy, so or force, if you prefer to call it, it may not be energy, um, a one-directional, um, so that not only the transistors operate like diodes in the sense that um, the so-called collector-emitter pair of leads on each of the iron or the copper transistors uh, favor a particular direction of current um, versus the aluminum base electrode associated with those two transistors. Um, but we also want a directional flow between the pressurized canisters of noble gas with low voltage breakdown versus the iron winding. Because when you think about it, the iron winding, or when I think about it, the iron winding ver and the flow of energy in the fields, the electrostatic and the magnetic fields of the pressurized canisters versus the iron winding, those fields and the flow going on in should be in one direction, as I've stated in prior recordings, and when you take everything together, it's like a baking soda borax diode. So that makes sense that all four electrodes of aluminum have to be conditioned. It's not wise. It just must be. <laughs> because it fulfills the intention to create a one-way flow emanating out of the pressurized canisters and into the iron winding. And to encourage that, <clears throat> uh, we have to condition the aluminum electrodes that lead into those pressurized canisters um, because the environment is filled with oscillations, natural oscillations, man-made oscillations from radio stations, everything you can imagine is 
basically busy oscillating the universe. I don't know of anything in the universe or in nature that's actually diodic in nature that only goes in one direction. Because even diodes, all they do is cause current to go in one direction. They don't stop voltage. The voltages will continue to oscillate, which is why you only get half a wave half of the, half of the time unless you do something about it, like a full-bridge diode rectifier, because a single diode does not um, address the oscillations of voltage. Um, and even a four-diode bridge, a full rectification bridge, is a clever way to get around that um, shortcoming that diodes have because they only address current. And since they ignore the voltage, it's it's very clever. I mean, I have to admit, it's very clever. Whoever thought up the four-diode uh, full rectification bridge for converting um, AC to DC, it's quite a clever arrangement because it never... No individual diode, no individual component is addressing the conversion of oscillating voltage into one-way flow of voltage throughout the entire cycle of oscillation. And by arranging for an arrangement, it becomes a collective endeavor among the four diodes. And this is where collective consciousness comes into play. You know, the sum is greater than the or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. This is where social engineering comes into play, in which, well, if you can command an audience or a mob, then uh, you've got a ton of power at you, or uh, for you, whatever, <laughs> by you, <laughs> of you, shall not perish from the earth. Yeah, okay, enough of that. <laughs> little inside joke there. Um, <laughs> if you're on the inside, if not, I ain't going to explain it. Um, <laughs> oh, Oh, God. <laughs> um, um, so, anyway. So, the thought came to me, you know, I'm not done. I always keep thinking, I'm done. No, you're not. <laughs> you, one more thing you forgot. When will I be done? When can I retire from this particular um, endeavor of this particular mystery? I don't know. But... Well, when we've got it built and people are creating variations, then I can retire, you know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, because that's really only, the only time an idea person can retire is to see the, the baby born. Or, you know, the baby hasn't been born. It's still gestating. So it's still pregnant in the womb of, of consciousness. So it's, it hasn't come out and uh, breathed its first breath yet. <laughs> Oh, that's another inside joke. <laughs> that breath is soma and soma is um, reactance, electrical reactance. Wow. Um, okay, so I think that covers that thought. Um, let's see if there are any other thoughts I have to mop up. I don't think so, except one maybe. Just because we scale everything down doesn't mean we can change over to something that we think is similar or analogous and might be a substitute. I might have covered this in another... Yeah, I think I did, but it's worth repeating. And then I'll shut up. The copper tubes, the hollowness, the fact that the tubes are hollow is indicative of encouraging um, or <laughs> only permitting helical... Um, 
movement of, um, for lack of a better term, current. <laughs> I, I don't want to get into that sidebar at the moment. Down the pathway, or along the pathway, there's no such a thing as down because it's going to be bouncing back and forth between the two terminal ends because it's an open transmission line, those copper tubes. So, in a sense, <laughs> not really, because they're linked in two pl or three places in an AC linkage. But be that as it may, it's... Um, so, if you're going to replace, scale everything down and replace the copper tubing with something else, I think I've stated in the past that it should be something that is electroplated on top of something else. In other words, the electroplating should have less resistance than the core conductive material. So that the core carries the voltage and the... Um, well, it doesn't carry much of anything. Well, yeah, no, it carries the potential and then the... the um, the circumference along the length, the, the cross-sectional circumference along the entire length of that wire carries the reactive voltage. Ah, here we go. The reactive voltage um, concentration. So, that means the electroplating has to be copper, just like the copper tube. See? It cannot be um, silver-plated copper wire. Oh, if silver is less resistive... Yeah, it's a noble coinage metal, but it's not a noble metal like copper. Well, no, it is. Yeah, copper, gold, and silver, that's right. But it's not Tesla's trimetal generator. It's something else <laughs> related to health and immunity. It has nothing to do with amplification of power through electrical reactants. So if it's going to be copper, if it's going to be an electroplated wire, it has to be copper electroplate on top of something else. Now, there is copper-plated aluminum wire, as I recall, in the audio industry. Now, that would be an interesting possibility. Purely speculation, but based on something that's not, based on a logical deduction that whatever wire we use it may not be good to use solid core wire, and it may be not good to be using Litz wire. I don't know. It may be necessary to have electroplated wire, Litz or solid core, regardless of which one is better. Uh, that's a whole other consideration. Um, yeah, copper plated on aluminum, that sounds very thought-provoking because it extends... The, the aluminum in the middle of the circuit into the copper side. Um, and there's another press. There's a press. No, there's a precedence. <laughs> Not another, but there's one precedence for that. <clears throat> the P, if you go back, the, I I found this very uh, thought provoking when I was watching over and over again the Peter Billingsley and Darren McGavin, and I think it's Matt Dillon's mom. I can't remember her first name. Let's say it's Pamela. And that cute little kid uh, who plays Pat Billingsley's brother. And, um, right, those are the only people I can name, <laughs> name names. Um, in the Christmas Story feature film, dating from, I think, 19, I don't know what it was, 80-something or 90? Anyway, it's such a cute little kid's picture, and it's, I guess, great for adults because, you know, it's Christmas time. What could be a happier moment, right? 
um, of childhood memories. Oh, well, it starred the author of the book that the movie was derived from. Well, he it, he didn't star. He had a bit role, a cameo appearance in the in the Santa Claus line, waiting to see Santa Claus. Um, very clever, putting him in there. Uh, but we hear his voice and say, oh my God, that's the same as the narrator's voice, who is the author of the book that the movie is, uh, the script is derived from. Uh, let's see. What was I getting to? Oh, their radio in their living room, when little Peter, Peter's character, goes to listen to um, a certain radio program, Little Orphan Annie, I think, and then to get the secret decoder, and then he whips out a secret decoder ring to receive the secret message from the uh, narrator of that program, TV uh, radio program, I mean. And then he finds out to his dismay after he goes to the trouble of decoding it that it's just eat your or drink more Ovaltine. He's like, oh, shit, an advertisement. You know? Well, he doesn't say shit, but, he, you know, he's very disgusted. And throws the decoder ring in the trash in the bathroom because he had to do it in private. Even though his younger brother had to use the toilet. So, uh, <laughs> um, and he waited forever for it to come in the mail, that decoder ring. Um, but when he goes to the radio... It's got an aerial on top of the radio box that is a, a sphere, a hollow sphere. So this is the way the Amon brothers thought. They thought in their era using ideas that were prevalent at the time. doesn't mean we have to do it their way. It just means we have to figure out why it's there and come up with an equivalency. And I'm not quite certain I know why it's there. Um, that has a certain elevated inductance, and it's a short at the terminus of a uh, open transmission line. The open transmission transmission line being the connecting wire, the single connecting wire between it and the ra the radio. Uh, uh, all of which, the single connecting wire and the hollow sphere constituting an aerial. Um, but the fact that it's a sphere, this is very interesting. Um, why did they do it? See, I'm not. I've never studied radio electronics, so I don't know why the radio uh, engineers did that at that time and what they've done since then to replace that function instead of... Because, for instance, before we had these modern era um, antennas that are at the rear of the roof of the car that are very slender, sleek, they look like a fin on the backside of some vertebrate fish or dinosaur... Um, in the olden days, 50 years ago, or 60, yeah, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, we had antennas that were telescoping, um, I don't know, stainless steel, iron, whatever they were. They came out of, uh, I think, to the left of the dashboard, the windshield, the front windshield, and you could pull it up, and it had a little nib, a little enlargement on the tip that you could grab hold of. And recently, I've begun to wonder if that little upside-down conic shape with a flat top or slightly flattened roundish top would not constitute the equivalency of a sphere on the, on the top side of an aerial. And why would you need that and not a point uh, to discourage, discourage emissions back out into the environment? Ah... Ah, now that would make sense because it's it you you don't have a point there. You have a, a flat surface tangential to the ex, tangential to 
what would have been the point or the end of that copper tube. And since it's tangential, it serves as a capacitance. Well, okay, that's what people in engineering, electrical engineering already know. So I had to derive it backwards, something I already knew but forgot. Right, so it has elevated capacitance or floating? No. Um, well, it has capacitance, basically, regardless of the variation. <laughs> if I, I'm not going to bother to get the variable word right, the adjective. Um, what, so why do you need capacitance up there? Oh, to create ionization, of course. Exactly. You're, well, no. No, to contain it. And no, to contain it and not emit it. So it, it really comes back to containment of, of capacitance. Containment of voltage. And so it's going to be contained and concentrated in the center of that hollow sphere. And that's why I always wondered, well, maybe he put something inside the sphere. Did he hang a quartz crystal, you know, and center it? In, or, you know, what's, what's going on with that? Did he put a jewel or a diadem of some kind? A, a ruby, emerald, I don't know, diamond? Um, what's going on with that? Or something else that diamonds are made of but is a semiconductor, uh, a piece of carbon. Or charcoal. Ooh, now this is getting heady because you know it'll happen. That charcoal is going to disintegrate because it's going to take on the voltage concentration, probably heat up, or even if it's not noticeable, it will be there, and cause an emission of carbon. Holy shit, this is, now this is getting fascinating. Carbon atoms, or you know, atomic-sized uh, carbon particles that will probably deposit not only create a cloud but deposit a film on the interior surface of that hollow sphere. Oh, this is getting fa and if the copper tube is open to that, in other words, you drilled a hole through the uh, sphere to receive the tube, and then you welded the two together. Now that carbon. Um, will deposit itself on the interior surface of the tube, the copper tubing. Now this is getting interesting. Now carbon was used as an electrode in the old arc lanterns in the days of Edison when they put up the street lights. And uh, Nathan Stubblefield used it uh, uh, initially, uh, but with a single wire, <laughs> lighting up those lights, interestingly enough. But that's probably because the other electrode was connected to the chassis of the lantern, serving as a leakage for currents so that the voltage alone would light up the lantern and have so little current that uh, the electrodes would last like forever and never get burnt up. Um, which shows that we don't need current, at least under certain circumstances, uh, such as lighting up an arc lantern with carbon electrodes because um, you don't. And Nathan Southfield did it with predominant voltage. And so all of this, uh, we got to pay for electricity through the nose, makes you want to question, well, what other appliances could we convert to run on electrostatic force, dielectric force, um, instead of current, and thus avoid watts and kilowatts and joules and kilowatt hours and um, and an electric bill <laughs> just by changing out our appliances. Of course, um, whether or not that was a DC run 
lantern or not is another story. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't make a difference. does not make a difference. Whatever. Boy, all these ideas keep coming to me. When am I going to shut up? No, no, no. Don't shut up. <laughs> um, let's see. Where was I? Uh, oh. So, I found out that those hollow spherical aerials were patented. And I think it was by a Canadian company, if I'm not mistaken. Yet, an American company, I think it was in Michigan wanted a piece of the action, piece of the pie, and so they came up, they uh, sidestepped the patent by not making the aerial out of um, pure whatever, but instead making it out of an alloy of aluminum and copper. And I think you can, you might, some of them are still available on eBay, some of these American-made, if unless it's switched the other way around. Unless, well, I think it was a Canadian patent, if I recall, that uh, this other company wanted to break into the market. And since this was an American family, you know, Peter Billingsley de being depicted uh, with an Ameri probably an American-made radio, <clears throat> that would have been the one because it looked a it looked like it was a blend of aluminum and copper. It was a little off color. It wasn't entirely a copper color. And interestingly enough, that probably would protect the copper from oxidation, the presence of aluminum, I'm guessing. I don't know, to some degree. Because copper is highly oxidative, although it's not really oxi oxygen, it's sulfur, but be that as it may, that tarnishes copper. But um, that would be very interesting. Um, so, that's another distinction there. Instead of, instead of copper plated aluminum, what about uh, the same mixture, copper aluminum alloy, that was used in those ancient <laughs> century-old um, uh, radio antennas that sat on top, that was, uh, you know, attached to the top of the radio box with the radio chassis um, to constitute all of the connective wi wire and the plates... You know, all of the material, conductive materials that go to make up this so-called copper side of the circuit. That in itself would be an interesting deviation to see what can be done about that. Does it improve things, you know, or is it merely cosmetic? Then you don't have to polish the copper. <laughs> you know, why bother, you know? Or, or do you coat the copper with a dielectric so that you insulate it? Was his uh, coated with a dielectric? I seem to doubt it. But would that be better than making an alloy with aluminum in our day if, if we want a monkey with making variations to see if we can improve efficiency without any losses but improvements only? Um, I don't know. Speculation, purely speculation at this point. Um, but if it's a copper-aluminum alloy, uh-oh, now we get into complications. Do we have to condition it? Well, probably. So now we're going to have copper sulfate in addition to, in, in addition to aluminum oxide on its surface. So is it predominantly aluminum with like 20% copper or is it the other way around? I'm suspecting dominantly aluminum. I mean the radio antenna from 100 years ago or 80 years ago, whatever it was. It was in the 40s. The picture was depicted in the 40s. So that would have been... a uh, an 80-year-old antenna, not a 100-year-old. 
So it could be that uh, it wasn't invented yet or whatever, and so uh, Amon didn't think of it. He just used pure copper. I don't know. You know, anything's possible about you know what you know was going through his mind and what was in his consciousness, conscious awareness. You'd have to study his, the history of these things, I guess. One way is to find out, but uh, or you can just play around and see what works. Um, so that gets interesting because then it begs to question, well, the iron we know is bare. The iron winding is bare. It's left bare. It was never insulated by either Amon or by um, Nathan Stubblefield. Um, but it was insulated in the transatlantic uh, telegraph cable problem solution because it was either embedded as iron filings in the insulation as a, a thought experiment by Oliver Heaviside or in actual practice it was either or it was a uh, magnetic iron uh, winding or a wire that went around the copper core the bare copper core and then the insulation on top of that uh, but it would still oxidize due to oxygen in the gaps of air spaces uh, inside the contraption when, uh, before they sealed it off with insulation and uh, humidity. So it would still oxidize. Well, I guess the copper would too, but not as much. Well, no, no, not if you... Yeah, not magnetic, enameled magnetic wire, copper magnetic wire. It's There's no air gap there. So it's different. Okay, I think I've blabbled enough. I'm tired of talking. <laughs> but, um, and you're probably, well, no, I shouldn't say that. You may be fascinated <laughs> by my ramblings. Um, I hope that TikTok videos inspires greater motivation than these uh, monologues do. Um, I had to do that that way, and it took me forever to figure out how to do it because my cell phone is, gives me nothing but trouble. When anything gets complicated, it becomes almost impossible for me to do it. Something we take for granted under better circumstances, but I've got, I've got all kinds of challenges i got to deal with every day, all day long. And sometimes they're not new challenges. I already know the protocol to use for the challenge, and in other cases, it's a new challenge. It's like, how do I post a video? My cell phone refuses to. It keeps reloading the upload page, saying, sorry, error, so I couldn't upload to YouTube, could not upload to Vimeo but and I don't like using the YouTube app because it takes up too much space on my cell phone and I have very little free space and the Vimeo app just didn't work at all did not work but the TikTok wor uh, app worked so at least for the moment <laughs> it worked today um, first time I uploaded a video on TikTok um, and I have four followers before I even uploaded anything yeah. Was it four or six? No, I think it was six. Whatever. And one of them is a former TV star. A celebrity of... of uh, or, uh, he had a TV series. Peter, uh, Barber. John Barber. I might have corresponded with him. That name sounds familiar. I can't... Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad I have a celebrity as a follower. That's that's That tickles me a little... Lord knows I've tried to reach celebrities with my ideas, and of course, uh, my response is about the same as anybody else. Silence. <laughs> Deafening, roaring silence. <laughs> I don't think anybody can make sense out of me. I, 
I don't even make sense out of, out of me a year after I've said what I've said. It's like, what the hell am I saying? <laughs> Other times I do make sense and go, wow, that's so brilliant. How come I never thought of that? <laughs> oh, I did. And I forgot about it just as quickly. Oh, I can go either extreme. All right, I've talked enough.